Hi, and welcome back to Brentwood Stories. In today's episode, we wander a little outside of Brentwood as we speak with Christopher DiCristofaro of Satrum Library and Christopher Kretz of Stony Brook University. Despite working outside of Brentwood, both Chris D. and Chris K. have been invaluable contributors to several of our library projects, including the library's makerspaces, the Average Teen podcast, and even the very show you're listening to today. Today, me and Peter check in with the Chris's and record their account of the COVID-19 quarantine, talk about podcasting from home, and even squeeze in a little tech talk. Enjoy. So we have um, Christy Cristofaro, technology librarian for the Satrum Library, purveyor of makerspace technology, and co-host of the Library Pros podcast. Also joining us is Christopher Kretz, head of academic engagement over at Stony Brook University, host of the Long Island History podcast. Thank you both for joining me today. Sure. And Chris uh, D, you've had an opportunity in your podcast to interview librarians across Long Island, Chris Kretz included, and touch base with them about the plans that they have made in response to COVID and their plans after the quarantine has ceased as well. And I was curious if maybe you could both provide a, a brief timeline from the realm of your respective institutions and maybe just give us a little bit of a detail as to what your libraries have done in response to COVID-19 and if there's any sort of strategies that you have that you think you might retain after quarantine has ended. Sure. Which, which, which Chris, which Chris do you, you want, want to first? go first? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what? Um, for the sake of simplicity, let's go in alphabetical order. Maybe uh, Christy, you want to start us off? Sure. So um, I believe it was March 13th. It was the, uh, the day that it all went dark basically, where we shut down and we thought we were going to close for probably a week or two, just to give it enough time to, to figure out what the leadership was going to say, clean everything down and then jump back in. But then weeks turned, two weeks turned to four weeks, then turned to a month and turned to two months and three months. And, and actually today is the first day we've opened the doors to the patrons. So it's been four months what? since we've had patrons in the building. Um, so in the beginning, we were trying to figure out what was going to happen. Uh, and the, I think the first thing was, well, how the heck are we going to do this remotely? So I was fortunate enough to have, when we had built the studio as its own department, I had made sure that everybody on my team had some type of device that was issued by the library, whether it was an iPad, a Surface Pro, or um, a MacBook, to uh, be able to work from home. Because part of what we do kind of is working from home. You know, even though you punch out at five, you, your brain doesn't stop. So um, we were already in that realm, and we already had multiple uh, cloud services, either through Google or Dropbox or um, Microsoft's uh, cloud service, uh, to be able to share documents. So when this was coming, we had a meeting of all the supervisors. I guess three or four days before it all went down, and I just dumped everything in the cloud that we hadn't had in the cloud before. So once the rest of the library figured out how to do that, then we started to jump on the Zoom revo uh, revolution of having meetings with Zoom. So both in my own department and library-wide, we started having discussions about what we were going to do. And we started to think about how are we going to still be doing it for the patrons. So we, we started to come up with the idea of um, digital programming, remote program programming, and uh, the, the studio team really jumped onto it. Studio, by the way, is my makerspace in Satrum. Uh, yeah. We jumped into it and we had a whole bunch of digital programming. Some of it, we were trying to do some MacGyver stuff, but it just didn't work. It didn't translate very well. So we started to do a lot of distraction stuff, including um, uh, 
doing a garden buddy seed starting um, set of videos where we literally talked about how to start seeds in your basement. And one of my colleagues was starting wow. seeds in the basement. And uh, he even did some time-lapse photography to show how they grow and the transition. And we did a whole bunch of different really cool things. I did some short stuff on technology that was like distraction stuff, like your iPhone isn't working, so try this. And, you know, here's some new things and some cool apps to try. And, you know, doing little short, you know, five, six-minute videos a la, you know, the YouTubers that are out there. And that's really where we were until we started talking about going back into the building, which was... Jeez, a month ago, we started getting back into the like really getting back into the building and working in the building part time. And uh, we brought first the supervisors back uh, working full days just to get everything back for the, the employees. And then we had the employees come in working in two different teams of A team and B team. So they would be part time each, you know, each one working a full day, but only working you know, like let's say the A team would work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then the next week they'd work Tuesday, Thursday, and vice versa for the B team. And we're still in that mode this week, but next week we uh, bring the staff in full time. So that was the plan. Uh, well, the plan changed constantly, but this is the plan that we're in right now. And so far we're pretty happy. Uh, you know, nobody knock on wood from, you know, the employee side has gotten sick. And, um, we're getting stuff done. So I think it was a good plan. And I think the plan is going to continue to morph and change as we see numbers rise and fall with regard to infection rates and hospitalization. And um, hopefully we don't have to foresee going backwards. In your um, conversations with other librarians, perhaps on your show, has there been any sort of programs or ideas that you've seen from other libraries that you've been particularly fond of? Well, the, the big one that jumps jumps out is Scott, I'm going to just botch his name, Jarzenbeck, from, who's the executive director of the Albany Public Library in Albany, New York. He put out an amazing plan that was detailed. It was um, had step-by-step -step instructions on what to do, and it really worked out well with regardless of what type of library you have, whether it was an academic library, public library. It, it followed the numbers. It followed infection rates. It followed phases, and it was brilliant in its design. Uh, that's I, I did an, an episode just with him, and then I did another episode with him and a bunch of other librarians everywhere from here on Long Island to Florida to New South Wales, Australia, and um, in New Zealand, talking about the different perspectives. And then also the, the perspective from New Zealand, which we were fortunate enough to get um, to get Justin uh, Honke, from, who's originally from Pennsylvania who works down there. And, and we explained to him, you want to talk about being on the other side of the storm. Uh, New Zealand has zero cases of COVID yeah, right they, now. They've done a great job. Yeah. I, I heard yeah. about that. That and, was amazing. Yeah. And they, I said, what does it look like being on the other side of this? He goes, it's really kind of odd, but they're open for business. Uh, they have a hundred percent staff. Patrons are welcome to come in the building and they're back to normal. So it was really interesting to see where we were, where they are. In this, and then, um, Chad, uh, Chad Mayern from, uh, St. Petersburg talking about what it's like to be in the thick of it there and then see the other perspectives here in New York and, uh, and in Australia, because they're kind of a unique situation too, because it's winter there now. So it was really interesting to hear how everybody was kind of wrapping around and what their plans were. Scott's, um, plan, it seemed like 
maybe he had influenced some of the Long Island libraries from the conversation he had on your uh, podcast. I would hope so. And it sounded like he, he influenced people, um, honestly, worldwide. Uh, Scott hasn't really shared too much about the input. I haven't spoken to him uh, in a couple of weeks now. Um, but I'd love to hear from him to see what his reach was with regard to his plan, because his plan was out there. He was sharing it. I know upstate was, was embracing it. Uh, I think he kept talking about the Rome project with regard to, uh, medical breakthroughs. And I know I'm, I can't say for sure, but I'm sure there are some libraries here on Long Island that really, uh, benefited from, if not the whole plan, then taking bits and pieces to make it work for their particular library. No, but yeah, listening to Chris and, and what what's striking me is is the so the conversation we have at the university is much more similar to what we're talking about in reopening, you know, K to twelve schools. So we're we're university library, so we're there to serve the mission of of the university. Um, just to go back through the timeline, around the same time as everyone, you know, middle of March, it, it was actually right at our spring break. So. The, as decisions were being made, we, we extended spring break to two weeks as everything was planned to be moved online for the rest of the spring. So we kind of knew, you know, that at least through, through May, we were going to be online. And for, for, in terms of the, the things that I'm in charge of, the, the concerns were instruction. So we do a lot of instruction. It was kind of coming towards the tail end of the semester where we kind of do a little less of that, but we did have a lot of things scheduled. So we were scrambling to learn zoom and, and, you know, make sure we had everything online. We we had we were living our lives mostly online anyway. I think academic librarians we were in you know using um, Google Suite for everything, um, Google Docs and calendars. So you know we we were positioned to to start from a good place. But it was a lot of communication. Um, a lot of it was you know when when we started working from home, keeping in touch with people. So just having you know, Zoom coffee breaks and, and meetings just to check in on people. And, and you know, because those first few weeks, it kind of felt like you were on your own island and you didn't know, you know, how things were going to play out. Um, but once we got through May, summer, Stony Brook was all online too. So we're, that's where we are at now. Still doing a lot of teaching online, um, mm. which is interesting because we have students that, that went back, you know, internationally, went back to their home country. So you have different time zones you have to you have to worry about or coordinate and things like that but the students have been great um so we're learning how to engage with people you know through the screens like we're all doing now and and the fall you know we i've been in twice in the last month or so we're looking at spaces a lot of it is the social distancing so taking out half of your furniture um the the labs we do use for teaching will only fit 12 people instead of 25 so how do we handle a bigger class? We have to find a bigger room. So, um, you know, I, I think like a lot of us, we have a lot of different plans depending on how things go. Uh, Stony Brook does has announced that the, the physical semester will end by Thanksgiving anyway. And then, you know, from Thanksgiving on, we'll um, finish up online. So wow. that's one of the contingency measures. And then there will be students on campus, last I heard. So we will have a uh, again, limited seating in the, the main library spaces. Uh, the, the group study rooms will be offline. That's where a lot of the furniture is now because we had to space everything out. Uh, you know, and, and this actually for, for the public librarians that are open and Chris, your, your feedback, because we, we, we have some students on campus over the summer. So there's, you know, very small footprint, but 
um, you know, we're asking people to wear masks and we're tracking the um, compliance rate and it, it varies. So I'd be curious, I've been seeing things online, you know, different public library reactions to the public and the, the level of mask wearing that they're seeing. Have, have you, are you at that stage yet where you can say, are your patrons wearing masks? Uh, I, just, I was actually greeting for the first three hours of us being open for, uh, open for patrons and everyone had a mask. Believe it or not, people were actually holding their library cards when they were walking in and asking if we were going to take their temperature, which we were not. Uh, so the level of compliance, I have to say, was probably 100% in, in the first three, four hours. It, it, it was, what was nice is, and again, this speaks to the type of patrons that we have here at Sachem, they, um, they love the library. At one, at one point, I think at 11 o'clock, we had 26 patrons in the building. So on the first day, that's, that's pretty darn good. And they all follow the rules. They knew where to stand. We put dots all over the floor for social distancing. They were standing on the dots. There really wasn't a lot in by way of saying, you have to do this, don't do that. You know, there were no people wearing chin straps instead of masks. You know, everybody was following the rules, which was great to see. Um, and even with regard to social distancing on the internet computers, we have, I think, and I'm probably going to get this number wrong, but maybe 24 internet computers. And what we did was we removed the chairs from the even number of computers and only put them at the odd number of computers. So that gave enough room for social distancing. So um, I think everybody at this point is reticent and understands what has to be done. And there weren't two, there wasn't anybody coming in without a mask or, or claiming they couldn't wear a mask because of a disability or any of those other things. But uh, so far, so good. First day, you know. Wow. Jordy got the computers back. Yeah, back. We actually, it was, it's a funny story. We were about to start a renovation where uh, if I, I know Pete and Pete have been, at, the, at my building is this Chris. We have that technology center in the back, a big room. Oh, yeah. We pulled the computers from there and put them on the main floor and made that room quiet study because the big joke at station was the quiet study was in the middle of the busiest track, you know, <laughs> heavily tracked area in the building. <laughs> so um, we kind of flip flopped them. And we were in the beginning of that construction project when everything stopped. And then there was a moratorium on construction so that those projects couldn't go forward. Uh, so when the moratorium was lifted and construction could begin, uh, they began in earnest to move furniture and run Cat 6 and run electric and get the electricians in and, and wire everything up. And um, everything's up and running. So uh, we're pretty lucky in that respect, you know, that we had everything up and running. We had just the dumb luck of knowing we were going to start this project and just, you know, folding social distancing into it. Wow. Chris, I meant to ask you earlier also, um, your local library was one of the first to, to reopen. You're talking to Chris D or Chris K? Chris K. You mean Sable? Yeah, weren't they? They were one of the, fir the first to completely reopen. I, to tell you the truth, I haven't been in. So I, I actually, I did a, a, a an online program for them. So I, I know they were online. Uh, but I haven't been by, and I, I know, unfortunately, it's it sad. I think they lost at least, uh, I know one staff member, I think, passed from COVID, so not totally unaffected. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's it's interesting. So we're looking to the fall and, and the, the space issue, you know, a lot of our larger lecture, to segue back to just some of our my background still, but the larger lecture series, you know, lecture halls are, are going online. So that the smaller classes can move into the large lecture hall. So it's going to be a very, 
you know, we we will be back for some on on site lessons and, and studying, but it'll it'll be a very strange situation because things will be kind of moved around and, and spread out. So, um, yeah, that's what I was thinking with Sayville too, because you do a lot of your recording there. I was wondering if you were starting to think about that at all. No, it's interesting because um, I, I my co-host is is in her eighties. And I, I did just drop off a headset for her. So I'm going to try to get her onto Zencaster and, and do some online things. But oh, nice. um, yeah, I, I don't think I, I can't put a time date on it, but it, it probably would still be a while before we're sitting across the table with a microphone from somebody. Yeah, I, I second that, too, because um, not only with I mean, because Bob and I, when we do our podcast, he's usually do, we're both remote from each other. Um, and then usually, unless we have somebody coming into the space, um, we do them remote as well. Uh, but I don't foresee our recording studio opening up anytime soon for either patrons or for me doing a broadcast with somebody in the studio with me. Because I was just thinking, you know, how do you disinfect a microphone? You'd have to keep changing the the covers, the pop filters and, you know. It sounds like a nightmare, but, yeah. but I mean, what I liked about Chris, Chris's show is that you've always been sort of online and, and international, like you've, you've referenced. So it's, to me, it's, it's been an opportunity to kind of try that myself. I'm mean, not as far, but I interviewed someone from upstate New York and, you know, so like we're showing with this interview, you can do a lot with, uh, you know, with the online tools you have, and there's no reason to not keep going and, and maybe bring in people that you wouldn't normally get physically onto Long Island. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually something I was going to segue into is, has it been easier, harder to get guests? How's the life of a podcaster been since quarantine? I think it's a balance really. Cause you know, you always worried when you're stuck at home working, are you doing enough for work? Uh, we were fortunate enough to still be getting paid while we were working from home and you know, there's always this lingering guilt. Am I doing enough to justify that? Um, I, I feel that I was doing enough. Um, but there were days, you know, everybody, and, and during the sequestration, you know, it was good days and bad days. And some days you'd be like, yeah, I, I think I did enough for the week. And other days, like, eh, I don't think I did enough. So, you know, balancing that plus being home, plus figuring out what your boundaries were going to be. Like for me, when I was going to work, I'd head on down to my basement it's my little man cave where I have, you know, my equipment and recording stuff and, and all that other stuff so I could be away from the kids so the kids weren't, you know, interrupting me because I'm trying to get some work done. But then, you know, you're getting emails at 6 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, and it just became really a free-for-all. So how does podcasting fit into all that? You know, it's 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 hard. It's, it's always a bit of a struggle when you're a guest-based podcast. Um, and I didn't want to fall because I actually – had a couple of uh, podcasts that are what they call in the can. Um, they were already recorded pre-pandemic. So I was able to release them. And even though they were great episodes, I kind of felt like, eh, you know, it's kind of missing the boat. We're talking about things that you can't do right now. So, you know, I wasn't going to leave them because they would have become dated uh, because, of, you know, mentioned of, of certain periods of time and things like that. But it was saying like, oh, well, it's spring and blah, blah, blah. People are going to start to do this. So I didn't want to release that in December. It didn't make much sense. So I followed my schedule with that. But then I said, you know, I have this network of people that I've interviewed in the past and people that are friends, are colleagues. 
and I said, I don't want it to become my thing, but let's do a COVID episode and let's just turn the mics on and see what happens instead of being, you know, um, a controlled, um, script, almost scripted, you know, with topics. So we just did basic bullet points and we did the first Corona episode and it went crazy with stats. So, and that was right mm -hmm. when it had started. Then we did a second one, which was kind of like in the middle of kind of like the, the smack dab in the middle of, of the crisis. And we were finding out, you know, what libraries were doing, what was working, what wasn't working. And then the third episode that we did was, okay, we're coming out of this. What do we do coming out of this? So, and in the middle, in between them, I had some other episodes. I interviewed a, uh, a children's author that ended up becoming a publisher. And that was really fascinating. And I, I spoke with the Longwood Library about their lending library. So I did, I didn't kind of make the podcast all gloom and doom about COVID. I put other episodes in between. But the, the issue is... You know, how do you find guests and what are you going to talk to them about? Because, you know, everything everybody's talking about is COVID. So I didn't want to end up being the COVID podcast. So the, the trick now is trying to find guests who want to talk about a topic. And yes, we can say pre-COVID, during COVID, after COVID. But I didn't, I don't want every episode to now be talking about COVID and, you know, how, how did the pandemic affect this, that, and the other thing. So I really wanted to put it to bed with regard to the three episodes. So we addressed it. We, I think we addressed it well. And, you know, the, I think the bigger trick now is trying to find guests who can talk about what they're doing. And yes, you could talk about, you know, COVID in there, but you don't want to make it the, the main drive of what we're talking about. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm currently stalking. I mean, trying to get uh, other guests uh, by reaching out to them via Twitter and, and all those other places. But, you know, it, it was a little bit of a challenge and it's still, it, and it's always a challenge trying to find a guest. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I was, I was worried about being able to keep up too. So I, one, one thing I started, um, I, I pulled a Fiorello LaGuardia. I thought I would read from the newspaper, uh, from a hundred years ago. So I started reading week by week. I figured every Friday I could pull out some stories and, and read. And then I started getting, actually, Chris, I picked up two people just contacted me saying, hey, I, I can't get out and promote my, they were both book authors. And so I had two people just call me <laughs> unsolicited and that gave me two episodes. Um, and then I did do, I, I reached out to five past guests just to kind of check in. So we did like a check-in episode to see how they were doing, which was a nice range of uh, people and ages. And some were, you know, running the Southampton Museum. And so we got to talk about how they were handling the pandemic. Um, and then I did, a, I had talked to Preservation Long Island, is, is they used to be called SPLIA, but it's an island-wide preservation um, advocacy group, and they do a lot of helping people um, save old buildings and, and things like that. And they we had, we had done a few things with them, and they, they have a, every other year they do an awards um, ceremony. Yeah. They give out preservation awards. And they couldn't have the ceremony this year, so I was working with their preservation director, and basically we I interviewed the five people, and then we put some kind of music and chatter to it. We had a little virtual party, and then she and I discussed each case and talked a little bit about preservation. So that was a that was a whole month right there. That was five episodes I could put out. So I, in the end, I, I kind of went a little crazy. I don't know how it happened, but I, I think I produced more under the pandemic than I normally would have. Well, you know, Chris, that's really funny that you had mentioned that authors uh, had reached out to you unsolicited. 
because there's another podcast that I help produce called the Artful Periscope, and that is uh, the 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 person that is the, the host is Larry Davidson, uh, who has done lectures and interviews uh, all over Long Island, and we've been doing Artful Periscope for a while, and he's been trying to get different guests. We've had um, Alex DeMille on, and you know, a whole bunch of really interesting. Yeah, he, he gets good. He's he's top notch. He does pretty well, yeah. So um, unsolicited. Uh, from the contact section of my podcast, I had two different publishers reach out and say, we have these authors that are interested in being on your podcast. I'm like, well, you know, Library Pros really isn't an author-driven podcast unless you're a tech nerd talking about some type of technology. But there is this other podcast. And now it, those relationships are starting to develop where now oh, cool. they want to start sending books to Larry to review so then we can interview those authors. So I think that that's... Again, something that's a side effect of the pandemic where where authors are supposed to be going on these book tours and now they can't. So now their publishers and their publicists are trying to find alternative avenues to still get the word out about those books. Yeah. And I wonder, will that stick? You know, is, is that a new a new awareness for this kind of local level podcasting, which we're all doing? Uh, you know, maybe they'll they'll look to us more now, which would be a nice a nice sign. Make it part of their pressers and part of their um, their book tour, as it were. Yeah, that's part of the exactly. routine. It's part of the circuit that you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It might be a little known fact to listeners that both of our guests have proven invaluable to both the development of this podcast and several other endeavors that the Brentwood Library has embarked upon, such as um, the Average Team podcast. Uh, Chris Kage, you were very helpful in helping set that up. And it's made uh, me that wonder. Was if, that was Christy. That was Christy. Christy, I'm how embarrassing. So sorry about that. That's okay. On, online, um, online, we all look alike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it made me wonder if, in fact, like the kind of um, technical acumen that you both command, whether it be at home with your family or at work at large, have you have you found that kind of expertise that you command a little bit more in demand? I, I can. It's definitely helped at work in, in terms of like the online teaching. So a lot of those skills, you know, we've been making videos and, and online presentations. So, and and I've I've presented about podcasting. I, I think it kind of goes in waves. Um, so I think interest kind of ebbs and peaks, and some people stay with it, some don't, some try it because they're interested. I you know in terms of the podcast quote unquote industry, although it is an industry, you know, people make money off of it. Um, I think it's kind of consolidating. So whether someone could start a podcast now and, you know, rise up the ranks and kind of get signed to a bigger host or something, I don't know if that's happening, you know, because now it's Conan O'Brien is sort of at the top and Joe Rogan is still there. So I, I think it's funny. A lot of the people above us have kind of come down and, and seen the, the power of podcasting while we just keep chugging away. Um but yeah, I, I think it's it's always a good, you know, think of it as a communication skill, being able to speak and interview people. And, and so that is going to stand you in good stead, no matter what you what you're going to do. Yeah, I agree, Chris. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Like we talked about, you know, Joe Rogan, Alan Alda, um, all these people and, and Rogan's been doing it for a while. But Alan Alda's feeling new to the to the scene, but he's blowing up because he's Alan Alda. Um, he's at he's at Stony Brook, too. And he's, yes, it's the Center for Communicating Science, I believe. Yep, yep. It's that, that uh, he, uh, clear, and, clear and Vivid. Clear and Vivid, podcast. yeah. So all of the proceeds from that podcast go directly to Stony Brook University, which is great for, you know, that's great to hear that a Long Island University is um, getting that kind of um, 
publicity and 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 he he brings some money so that that's really nice to see but yeah the the big names are doing it now because the little guys have been doing it like even the the one and only robert plant former lead singer of led zeppelin has a podcast which i found amazing because he doesn't like to talk especially about zeppelin or anything like that and here he is doing a podcast and i i find it the, the one thing that I learned about podcasting, whether I listen to one or I help another person with it, is that so when I help Brentwood uh, with Brentwood, uh, average Brentwood teens, I've helped um, Syosset with Turn the Page. I've helped, um, I just recently helped Oceanside and um, a couple of the libraries, you know, kind of get their feet wet. And all I basically do is tell them, look, this is what I use, this is what you can do. And some of them have even been guests on my podcast. And the cool part is, you give everybody the same formula and you get something completely different. So it's like making soup with the same exact ingredients, but every time you taste everybody else's soup, it tastes completely different. And I think that's the beauty of podcasting. So during the pandemic, I had, um, oh, who reached out to me? Oceanside was one. There's another library that escapes me at the moment, another Southwestern Nassau uh, library that asked about it. And, they had at it. And in fact, um, Sachem, Sachem team department started exploring the idea of, um, having a podcast, um, interviewing local, um, local fi figures and talking about, you know, maybe what was life like in Holbrook back in the 1950s or what, you know, how did Holtzville come to be what it is and, and things like that. So they're starting to develop that now. And again, a completely different recipe. They're using SoundCloud versus, you know, I use blueberry and all these other things. So not to get too technical, but you know, um, when you give somebody a formula and you, you give them some tools, it's amazing what comes out. Um, another great podcast is uh, Carol Ann Tack over at the Merrick Library, Top Shelf America Library, which is an author-based uh, interview podcast, which has really come into its own and it's really starting to hit its its stride. And again, Didn't she just have um, Judd Apatow. Is that her? Uh, I don't think she had Judd Apatow. I think she okay. she she <laughs> she'd be someone was so just done. So giddy if, if she had Judd, um, <laughs> I have to look but that you know up she now. gets some some pretty good authors too, and and it's just so nice to see that. Um, and again, she's doing it from home as well. So this is a, a craft that you can do um, from home. In fact, one of one of the guys that works with me, what, he's a librarian trainee. During this whole thing, he started to make a, a web series, which hasn't he hasn't launched yet, but about everything from buying the equipment to. Uh, doing it and doing it with free web hosting as opposed to paying for a web host. And he launched his um, his girlfriend's podcast. In fact, it's uh, uh, Chris, you know her, Aaron. Oh, yeah, yeah. From the uh, Scholars Beyond the Tower. I think, Scholars or? Beyond the Tower, yes. Yeah. And that, again, it is produced by, by Alex Boris, my uh, one of my librarian trainees. So it's interesting to see, even if you don't, it's, it's interesting to see the, the influence of what you do. And I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, Chris, Chris Kretz wasn't a bit of an influence on me with when it came to style, when it came to interviewing um, techniques and things like that. So we all feed off each other. And I think that's really, really a good thing, too. But talking about, you know, this skill set and and the technology during the pandemic, I think we're going to see a bunch of great podcasts that are born out of this. Who does the, is the Syosset podcast? Turn um, the page. That's turn the page. That's uh, Jessica Chowton. 
Okay. That was the Apatow one, I think. Oh, they got Apatow. I think. It's on my list. I have oh, a backlog. Dear Jessica. You know, the one thing... Tell is, me about that one. There's a very first world problem, but I, I left all my lightning connector earbuds in my office in March. So I've, <laughs> I've not actually been listening to as many podcasts as I used to because I usually listened walking around with my earbuds in, but... Now, uh, Christy, as far as your role as a purveyor of makerspaces, a lot of this quarantine has really been kind of a referendum on like public meeting groups in general. And do you think that the future of the makerspace is in jeopardy? Actually, I think it's actually going to propel makerspaces forward. Uh, one thing that we're doing over at Statium is turning it into a virtual experience. And by virtual, I mean, uh, we are hoping to launch a redesign of the the Sachem Library Studio Makerspace page within the library site within the next week or two. And it actually gave us the opportunity. And this is something we were, again, I'd love to say I saw this coming. I didn't. Um, we wanted to go paperless. So we had this whole system of paper you know, invoices and, and patrons would fill it out and have to come in and you know, they would come in and pick this and do that, and they would be tinkering around in the space. So what we did is we actually made it so uh, it's like a touchless experience. So the biggest part about a makerspace, because you don't, and if you've heard me say this before, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, you don't work a 3D printer with a joystick. So it isn't like you have to sit there and, and, and physically make this, the 3D printer work. All of the important stuff happens in the design. And there are so many free tools and resources out there like Tinkercad um, or Simplify or there's a whole bunch of different play, you know, um, software out there you can get either trial versions of or free versions of where you can do the creating from home. So you know, we had a discussion and said, well, how do we make this? You know, how, are we dinosaurs? Is this something that was a flash in the pan and now people can't come in so now they can't do anything. They can't use the equipment. And I think quite to the contrary, uh, it's more about the design. So the concept that we're putting out there is that you create the web page and it's a home page and you click on, let's say you want to do 3D printing. So you click on a 3D printing link and there's a page for 3D printing and it describes the printers, it describes software and helpful tips and maybe even a video or two. And then there's a click here to submit a, a project. So what we did was we had, um, when you click on that submit a project, it brings you to a Google form. That, fill, that has all of the requisite information. So um, your name, your your phone number, your barcode number to authenticate. Even though it doesn't authenticate to our ILS, it does authenticate in that it won't submit the job unless it has the, the prefix number for for, pit, for for Sagem. And all the information, including an area to upload a file if you've developed your own file. Uh, there's even an area for notes. And what's really cool is we use a service called automate.io, which we had to pay for. But for every field in the Google form, we have it autofill the, with the service Trello, which is what we use to track our, our jobs. So it automatically creates a Trello card with all of the information. And then we all get emails about it. And so we know what came in and we know to look at it to make sure that it's not something nefarious that we can actually print. It doesn't violate policy. And then we do the job. So let's say the job is done and it didn't print well or didn't print right or it just something's wrong with it. We set up a video conference with the patron. 
using their video conference of choice, whether it's FaceTime or Zoom or um, Google Meet or Google Hangouts or whatever it is. And we show them the piece over the video chat and say it failed in this spot and that spot. And this is what you need to do to, to tinker it, to make it better, and then resubmit it to us. So that patron interaction that we're having in person, we can now have through a Google form and still have that personal touch speaking to the patron and showing them what failed, what worked, what didn't work. And then they pick it up curbside. So that's utilizing the new curbside feature. So uh, it works. We're, we're using it for um, 3D printing, engraving, poster printing. We're trying to figure out Cricut. That's a little tricky. And as we move forward, we're probably even going to do uh, recordings because we can do it remotely. Very like nice. audio recordings? Yeah, mm -hmm. through, through our booth uh, recording studio. Wonderful. Do you think that if there was ever a time, now would be the time to buy a 3D printer? Hey, probably, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I wanted to buy one for myself while we were quarantined just so I can play. But what the, the cool thing is, if, if the patron does get a printer, we've had this before. If they bought something and it doesn't work right, we've had them in. Now, I don't know if they can do it now, but in the past, we've had to bring it in. We've actually helped them tinker it and, and get it to work. Um, so it, it, in the same breath, we can do the same thing, I think, virtually to a certain degree. I'll have you guys take a look at my printer sometime. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because I've just been, I've been nerding out over here and trying to just find any myriad of reasons to print out something on the printer. So I've got, I've got cell phone cradles. I've got headphone cases. Yeah, my, um, my wife bought a Cricut and got it delivered during the pandemic <laughs> and she's been using it. Making, she's making a lot of masks too. So something <laughs> handy. Oh yeah, Cricut is great. I feel like the uh, the shutdown came right as a lot of things were uh, about to get started. Like uh, I feel like we're pretty close to starting the makerspace at Brentwood. We had the seeds and all that stuff was. Uh, you had your your breakout right when it shut yeah, down. It was, it was genuinely all lined up for success. We were starting to get some real traction with the Inventors Club. Had some really great meetings. Some presenters talking about patenting. I did my little class about Tinkercad. Definitely keep that momentum going uh, yeah. and definitely explore a Zoom thing uh, or some kind of, either whether it's a YouTube channel, YouTube video, or whether it's uh, a Zoom interactive experience. Uh, keep that traction going because you'll be surprised how many people are are clamoring to do this kind of stuff because they have an idea and they don't know how to actually, you know, you see that, that silly commercial at 3 a.m. Oh, invent help, blah, blah, blah. Mm. When you don't need them when you have an idea. Right. I had taken a note at near the beginning of the uh, interview, if you don't mind, if I was just curious about the programs that you guys were mentioning. Um, did you, was there like something that you found, you thought, oh, this is going to be really good to be able to do this in a digital format and it was unexpected, like it didn't work out or you had one that you didn't think would be that great and it turned out to be one of your, I don't know, better programs during the quarantine well I'll, I'll just we we were we were towards the tail end of our semester when and everyone was sort of you know preoccupied with getting online and surviving so our, our programming was initially was a little light we we arranged a series we thought maybe we we kept a series of zoom meetings going every thursday you know like a library open meeting um 
but it, that that turned out to be not what people wanted. They just, you know, that was still early days. They just wanted to survive, I think. Um, but um, th there's some like uh, we have a digital humanities center that they do a series of it used to be in-person sort of like a reading group. So we would assign an article or some research and people would come um, and you'd get a good core group of maybe six or so. But online that that took off even more and, and you could get people from other institutions joining in. So that that was a success story. And now going into the fall, we're trying to, um, you know, see what we can do online and, and be more conscious about it, because I think the spring was sort of a lot of uh, emergency, you know, <laughs> let's, let's try something and, and get through this. But uh, the fall will definitely be a little more coherent. Is the reading group, is that like um, uh, graduate students? It, it's a mix. Yeah. Faculty, graduate students. We try to get undergrads who are interested, you know, just exposed to that whole field. So that's a lot of digitization and it could be GIS. It could be text mining. It, it could be a lot of different things. So wow, that sounds very cool. Yeah. So for, for what we were doing, I mean, what was interesting, and Anthony Bliss is my cohort. He was doing, he actually made a, a planter box video. He had uh, a patch of fence that had um, blown over in a storm and it took the post with him. So he cut the rotted part of the post off and he literally made a video on how to make a planter box with a post just by, oh, you wow. know. He, he used a chop saw, but he said you could use a hand saw or whatever. And he showed how you could basically build it log cabin style. And that went crazy with, with mm. views. Um, and of course, the Garden Buddies thing just went crazy as well. Um, I did some videos on some tips and tricks to get your, your Apple device from being slow and, and maybe learning about some of the settings that are involved in there. And I'm about to do, um, for September, a, um, a video on using Google PhotoScan. Because one of the popular things in our space is the, the photo scanner. So Google actually has one that you can use your phone for, and it works Android or iOS, where you can take your actual physical photo, lay it on a table, and take a picture, and then align these dots. And then you can create, you can literally digitize a physical picture. And you can do this fairly quickly with some pretty good, not just accuracy, but quality with regard to resolution. So... Um, that's one of the programs I'm going to be doing. Um, and some of the stuff that we're doing going forward is we're doing a series on the Adobe, um, which one is it now? Adobe Auditions, which is the audio editing. Uh, and we're doing another one on Audacity, which is the free version, ah, the free there you uh, go. Uh, audio editing software. Um, right. And then there's going to be the podcasting serial that, that my, my colleague Alex is going to be working on. So, we're doing a whole bunch of different things, I think. But in terms of like in the past, we the big one was the Garden Buddies because he literally took seeds. And now I think we just harvested a cucumber that was uh, 18 inches long. And that came from awesome. a seed. So that really is kind of cool. And you so think it would be a tech-based a tech based thing too. So I'm your sorry, seed and garden stuff at your library is um, part of the makerspace. Yeah. So, because we also have the, the outdoor uh, classroom, which is part of children's. But the one thing, my philosophy is, look, if it's a maker thing, it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, be underneath the, the Sachem studio flag. If you're doing something cool, we're going to promote it and we're going to talk about it because, sorry, great. growing things is making. 
<laughs> it's the first kind of making, really. That's right. It really the is, OG, yeah. The OG maker face. <laughs> yeah. And what was um? You said you were doing some. Dist- I think you said distraction stuff. I wasn't. Sure. I hadn't heard that term we, before. Yeah, distraction in terms of your phone's not working right. So instead of sitting and listening to the news and getting depressed because you know, a gazillion people are getting sick, you know, let's focus on how to clear the cache on your iPhone. Most people didn't even know that there was cache that you had to clear on your iPhone, or how to check for an update, okay. or download an update, or how to adjust the text size on your on your phone because maybe the text size is too. Um, is too small or something as silly as what's the podcast app and this is how you find podcasts and this is what you can find that's really interesting in podcasting and what podcasting even is so i think we opened up uh podcasting to a bunch of different people and just simple things on your phone because we're staring at our phones all day anyway right so why not find something that is interesting that you didn't even know your phone could do yeah it's more than just shopping on amazon taking selfies and checking facebook Someone just sent me something on how to turn your iPad into a teleprompter, which I'm going to try to do. Oh. You never know. Oh, I know. It, sounds, it sounds interesting. I thought, wow, I could do that. And, uh, another thing I thought was actually, uh, I do have a couple of spare um, smartphones over here, and I might try to turn one into a, a time-lapse camera for, okay. for my 3D printer. So that might mm-hmm. be another clever one to do as well. What's really cool with old tech, too, is you can repurpose it as a single-purpose unit. So I have an old iPad 4, so it was before the, the Air line had come out. And um, I have an old, old stereo from probably the early 1950s. It's in my little man cave here in the basement, and it was my wife's grandfather's. And it just so happens to have um, RCA out cables, or RCA in cables, I'm sorry. So I bought a, um, a wire that was super long so I could run it through the drop ceiling. That's um, three and a half inch headphone jack on one side and RCA on the other. So now I can play music from this old iPad through Spotify or anywhere I want to listen to it and play it through this old stereo. Out there. Ah, nice. So, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> and then there's a, there's another, my, so my older daughter, who's now 18, almost 19, had an old iPod from when she was seven or eight. And it's only on iOS six or something like that, so it's it's like third gen. It's got a you know the aluminum back to it, and everything, and it's basically useless. So there's an app called Many Thing that you could turn it into a surveillance camera. So I have it perched, pointed towards my front door as a security camera, and then my other daughter had an an iPad Mini, first gen. Uh, again, I think it's on iOS 8 or 9. Uh, she broke the screen several times. Uh, the home button doesn't work great. So I put that same app on there and connected the two cameras. And now that's pointing towards my back door. So now I have a makeshift security system that costs me a dollar a month hmm. for the cloud service for it. So the camera I'm works great. Here. That's a great idea. Yeah, the camera works great. So why not? And then I can go onto my my own my phone here that has the same app loaded into it and then just jump on those on those cameras and the great thing about the app is it utilizes not just the camera but it also utilizes the microphone so if there's it the camera will go on and it'll start recording if it hears a sound and it gives it a sound grade and a video movement grade so i can 
and I can even set it up to give me an alert, which would just drive me crazy because if this, my kids are walking around, it's going to go off every two minutes. But the idea that if somebody were to break into my house, I could then take a look and get a nice clear photo or video of the person coming in my house. Oh, well, we, um, we very cleanly came upon an hour almost <laughs> wow. very, very suddenly here. And I really you know, genuinely appreciate, you know, not only just you guys coming on to the podcast today, but for all the help you, you given myself and all my colleagues in the past. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, it's been interesting to see. It, it's a nice community that's grown up on Long Island around podcasting through the public libraries and the private sector. It's just a nice little uh, guerrilla army out there that's podcasting. And it continues to grow. And, and, yeah. you know, it, it's always nice when somebody reaches out and says, can you help me with this? And, and you're able to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for Thank having us on. Pete and, Pete and Chris. Pete and Pete and Chris. Chris, I love it. There you go. Good night, everyone. All right, guys. Have thanks. Good night. Thanks. Thank you again to both of the Chris's for joining us. If you like what you heard today, you may want to check out the podcast of both of our guests. Christopher DiCristofaro's podcast, The Library Pros, discusses libraries, library tech, and everything in between. Visit thelibrarypros.com or subscribe via Apple Podcasts, RSS, Google, or Android podcasting apps. Christopher Kretz is the host of the Long Island History Project podcast, a twice-a-month podcast featuring interviews of researchers, authors, filmmakers, and any person with a passion for the history of Long Island. Visit thelongislandhistoryproject.org or subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks again to you, the listener, and to the Brentwood Historical Society for helping to spread the Brentwood story. We'll see you again soon. Today's music is brought to you by artist Dr. Turtle. You can find the track, You're Right But I'm Me, for free at freemusicarchive.org.